Hey guys, welcome to another episode of MC Anime, MC here, and we have a special guest with us today, Reggie. How are you doing today, Reggie? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Can't complain. I'm in here talking about nostalgic and getting ready to discuss a good topic today, so I can't complain. Cool, cool. So uh, introduce yourself, what you do, and uh, where they can find you on social media. Alrighty, so like he said, my name is Reggie. Um... What I do um, right, right now, I'm currently a coding apprentice for a non a nonprofit type company. And basically, what they do is they're online. They basically do is they take youths who are interested in coding, who are interested in getting into IT, whether that's coding, uh, data, or cybersecurity, and they basically teach them how to do those jobs. Teach them their, their professional skills and interviewing, and they basically try to match you up with big companies. And so I've been in the program for almost six months, and that's how long you're in the program for. Um, that's just a little bit about what I do. My hobbies are watching TV, anime, playing games, listening to music, and pretty much drawing. But that's a little bit about me. Uh, you can find me on social media, Instagram, at BigReggieD, and that's big with two Gs, Reggie, lowercase, no spaces, no underscores. So with that in mind, we thank you for the introduction, where you get you, and the context. And now further ado, this particular episode of MC Anime is classic cartoons and the decades. So what we'll be covering is the 1960s, 1970s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s of cartoons that we reminiscent of and want to bring forth into this particular episode and discuss how they are. What do you think of cartoons? Mm, right. So, cartoons are nothing to be slept on. So, like, <laughs> whether you're a kid or an adult, it's absolutely okay to love cartoons. Um, now, cartoons in the decades, I will say this. If you think of a certain decade and you think of a cartoon, you automatically, if a cartoon pops up in your head, like if you think of the early 2000s and you think of Spongebob, I personally feel like that's just a testament to how influential that cartoon word that cartoon was in its decade so that's just my overall opinion so uh yeah cartoons are represent of where they're from and how they're characterized and the audience appeal the nostalgic effect people watching after it already aired and how even a new generation can actually find it and enjoy the same content as the other generation that originally aired in that decade. I think it's oh, yeah. really cool that you can do that. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, further ado, the decade that we're going to cover as a little case study, the first part, is the 1960s. So the titles that we're going to explore are the Flintstones, Astro Boy, mm -hmm. and possibly Gooby-Doo. All right, nice. All right, so I mind if I go ahead and start on Astro Boy? Sure. All right, so I'll be transparent. Like I haven't watched that much Astro Boy, but I have heard I've heard of it, and I've heard that it was basically first anime to really ever be broadcasted. So just the fact that you have all this anime out here, all this current anime, you have Shonen, you have you know, hardcore anime type stuff. But we have to basically look back and we look at Astro Boy. Astro Boy is basically what started it all. So even though I've never really watched the series, watched the series in depth like that, like I look at, I look to it and I look at it, I respect it. It does pretty good content and gives us a good visual on what Astro Boy is. And what is. So with Astro Boy being the way it what is. I personally think that the show given to new audiences in America gives it a new spin on what mainstream anime could be depicted in the America. For example, Astro Boy, when it came over to America, it was dramatically changed to fit the source material for the American audiences at the time. Astro Boy had a, you know, had Astro Girl, his girlfriend. And when it aired on NBC, a lot of the different uh, formulations, fight scenes were changed 
to fit American audiences. So that, in my opinion, made a cartoon in America instead of the anime there, originally from Japan. That's my little bit tidbit on Astro Boy. The reason why I'm using it as a honorable mention cartoon, simple fact how we define cartoons and how American audiences see animation in general. But other shows after the fact don't present themselves as cartoons in that way. So the four kids dub of Yu-Gi-Oh! is still considered an anime. But with Astro Boy, it's had enough demographic and a younger general audience portrayed as cartoons in the era. So just don't be confused with that. Okay. So let's go to the Flintstones. Alright, so the Flintstones. So interesting is like because the French, the Flintstones, that was like 1960s. I'm far from the 1960s, baby. I was born in the 90s. But it's crazy how I have a little bit of memories with the Flintstones. Like I had this big, huge Flintstones book. I remember I used to eat like the cereal and it was like Flintstones. It basically, uh, the cereal brand was like marketing the Flintstones. So I, I even watched a few kids. It's just to me, it's crazy how even though Flintstones was back in the day, I have some memories of the Flintstones. Yeah. Overall, it was a pretty entertaining, entertaining series to watch. Uh, yeah, those are my experiences with Flintstones. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Testament of time to how innovative it is. Yeah, you kind of bring up the Fruity Pebbles. Yeah, everyone remembers the classic branding of Flintstones with like the Flintstone gummies, the Flintstone Fruity Pebble commercials, and how it's still to this day that Fruity Pebbles is such an iconic brand of Kellogg's. But that's just, yeah, I think that the Flintstones that we had, the Flintstones that we had were representative of Fruity Pebbles, the Flintstone gummies, Mm -hmm. and how it's portrayed in all audiences in marketing. Now, merchandise and marketing can definitely sell a show to its full potential after the original airing. But what I like about mm-hmm. Flintstones particularly is the reruns. When you watch the reruns on like a program called like MeTV or other type programming, it introduces a new audience. And that's how I got introduced to it. So I watch a bunch of episodes on MeTV and keep watching the original rerun well reruns of the show and how over time that appreciation for the show kind of gave within the simple detailing of the show and each episode is episodic so standalone you can just bounce around the different show episodes and find what you like based on continuity and overall appearance of the show and who can't forget what did they do? Or, you know, when they're going off prehistoric, walking for cars and having different animals doing different things that in the prehistoric age could have been done in the Funstones world. Yeah. So it's just a lot of appeal to inventions that they have in modern times, but translate it to a prehistoric time where it could look like an official universe. So yeah. that's uh, Flintstone in a nutshell. Both have good memories of Flintstones. Now, Scooby-Doo, that's probably a show I grew up with my entire life. Because of the generation you grew up with, I think Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? is like the pinnacle of what Scooby-Doo was. True. Because each episode, you had a different mission to solve. The mystery incorporated with the game to actually do the mysteries. Yeah, Shaggy, Elma, Daphne, and what's the blonde? Freddy. Um, yep. Freddy. Um, what's the other one name? Velma. Velma, Daphne, Scooby-Doo, and Shaggy. Mm-hmm. We don't remember last names here, but we do remember the main majority of the names. How they operate, they go to like different instances where the boogeyman is out or a ghost haunting or werewolf or some type of culprit, some mystery to solve. They went to solve it. 
and as a result, solving it's usually a person behind it and a uh, person integrated, related, what the, who can gain the most out of doing it. Usually the people that were involved. Yeah. So like, if they had, let's say they had a bellhop in a hotel, they are mad at the boss, so they're trying to want everyone out of the hotel so they have it for themselves so they can decrease the property value to buy it for a fair share or cheaper than we originally asked for. That could be an example of someone using a haunting or a legend of sorts to scare people away from the property to actually gain something from it, like a monetary value. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is the crimes that they saw, they were perpetrated by people that wanted real life relatable things, basically like monetary gain or some type of fulfilling some type of greed. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Cool. cool. There's always a reason behind it and usually you can track the reason with also how they solve the mystery. But usually yeah. the person that did the crime the mystery incorporated will actually be able to solve it, put the clues together, and figure out who it is, and just trap them when they caught in the act. If it, if it wasn't for your best friendly kids, I would have had done everything and got away with it. That's the same. <laughs> yeah. Um, favorite character? My favorite. Come on now. <laughs> is it really a question? Shaggy, of course. Shaggy? Well, oh, if, if, like if, we're, if we're talking about if we're talking about the hero, the protagonist, the heroes, Shaggy and Scooby, that's a that's not even a question. Mm. Now, if we're talking about the villain, mm. well, I will say the 1960, the 1960s original cartoon. I remember this episode called Foul Play in Funland, and it was mm-hmm. basically about. Was this uh, amusement they had this, that, was a, that, huh? was a con- that was an amusement park I remember that one yeah and you remember like the, the uh, cyborg that was running around basically messing everything I I loved mm-hmm. his name was Charlie I, I, I love that that was my favorite episode it was just yep. to me it was as a kid watching it for the first time that was a real creepy episode but at the same time it was just fun it's just I love that episode that, that was like my favorite one out of them oh yeah and, um uh, Bera pitched this idea for the show he wanted something different that was less violent and we have Scooby-Doo Where Are You and other redemptions of the same name just in different shows yeah uh, but I could talk a little bit about my experience with Scooby-Doo so it's kind of hard for me to pinpoint my introduction to Scooby-Doo. It's just been around ever since I've been around. Like, oh, yeah. I can't tell you, like, I had the Scooby-Doo blanket. I had a Scooby-Doo stuffed animal. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you how I got into because, again, 60s before my time. So I was introduced to it by my parents. And we've watched a couple of episodes. And one of them happened to be Foul Play and Fumbling. And that was just, that's what got me hooked onto the 1960s series. One thing I do like from my era, the early 2000s, was I love the Scooby-Doo live action movie oh, with yeah. um, um, with uh, Matthew Lillard. Uh, I think his name was Freddie Prince Jr. I think that was his name. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those kids like that. Those two movies right there is just I love I love those movies growing up. Um, and over the time, we've had like different variations of the Scooby-Doo series. I can tell you, I didn't, I didn't touch on to every single Scooby-Doo scene. And uh, I think, yeah, Scooby-Doo, I think. Different versions. We had a bunch of different versions of the anime, ver- the animated version of Scooby-Doo. We had What's New Scooby-Doo. Like, I remember that's one. Um, there was like a bunch of different types of Scooby-Doo series. I must say I didn't drift towards every single one of them. I kind of felt that they kind of just, they lost some of them like some of those series lost their appeal after the OG 60s version of Scooby-Doo. Um, so like I'm very selective over the types of Scooby-Doo's that I watch. Yep. But I do notice, but I do recognize 
and realized that basically each version of Scooby-Doo was made for different, like, once again, it's a generational thing. We have yeah. our grandparents, we have our parents, uh, there's us, or we have older siblings that came before us. We have younger siblings and some of us have children. So they're, I'm, I'm willing to bet money they're still making, I've been out of the loop for a while, but I'm pretty sure they're still making more Scooby-Doo stuff. Oh so, yeah, they have more Scooby-Doo in rotation right now. I think with Scooby-Doo, it's such a one type thing that you can just transfer to another spin-off or sequel that mm. the current audience will understand immediately what they're trying to do. Scooby-Doo is a very simple plot and when you go yeah. into it, it's very easily translatable to other audiences in different versions and variations. Now, here's a question I have for you. Do you think between its origins and where it's at now, do you feel that they kind of went too unrealistic with Scooby-Doo? Like you mentioned, like the basic villains were, you know, people that were just basically doing relatable things, yeah. basically for their own self. But now, nowadays, Scooby-Doo, you can't really think about Scooby-Doo without thinking of ghosts, zombies, uh, basically supernatural stuff. So do you think that they kind of skeeted off a little bit from where they were in that I sense? I think at some point they did, but the supernatural with the like, recent movies and different plot lines is where it's transitioned to. So I think they went off a deep end, but they also went in the deep end in a good storytelling mechanism for okay. Scooby-Doo. Okay. So like, okay. other audiences are able to understand it and not, you know, it, it doesn't lose the meaning because mm -hmm. the original Gooby Doo Where Are You from the 60s is definitely up there and one of my favorites that I grew up watching over and over again. Higher Room of Scooby Doo, uh, you know, Light Switch, old stickers that I still have. So, yeah, mm -hmm. my memories of Scooby Doo was in the RV watching it and just keep watching it so <laughs> i feel strongly about scooby-doo and with that i think wraps up the 1960s in a nutshell mm -hmm. let's do 1970s Alrighty. so what do you think of pink panther so pink panther i am not going to lie i didn't watch any pink panther i really like I've seen it in passing because I used to own, I used to watch the Boomerang channel and they had a bunch, they have a bunch of classic cartoons. So I would see that in passing. Um, now what I do know it, what I mainly know it for is like, if you go into like the grocery store, they will have this this uh, type of sugar and they will have the Pink Panther on it. So I do know it for that. So I can at least say that it was definitely a big impact then to the point where it could be marketed on other type of merchandise. Oh yeah. That's right, really, where it comes to me. Like, I, I really didn't have that too much exposure to Pink Panther. Oh, yeah. I think with Pink Panther, the show, we see, you know, Pink Panther being the Pink Panther he is, but also the crime element. He's, you know, like a French detective going on to solve what Pink Panther does on the regular day. And, you know, it's animated shorts, so... It's typically like five to seven minutes long. But with those animated shorts, you get enough content to create the cartoon element that you see in Pink Panther. Mm -hmm. It kind of tells the story of who Pink Panther is. You know, it's 1969 to 1978, so it's like mostly 70s. And as a result, we have like different syndication of it. You know, it's one cartoon. You have the inspector sandwiched by two Pink Panther entries. Do the number of shorts, mm -hmm. you know, two episodes feature a Pink Panther cartoon by two inspector entries. The 30 minute show has been connected to you know, bigger proportions. But, like, I think it kind of gave us, like, a different feel in the 1976 was revamped into. It's all the new Pink Panther laugh and half hour show. This version is the live action. Mm -hmm. 
for the comedian. You know, it really and truly is classic for it turned from a short into a 30 minute overall show. Which, mm-hmm. you know, most shorts don't convert over to that type of format. So it's kind of synonymous with that. But at the same time, you know, the French element with doing the diamond and the inspectors coming in. Like, a lot of people know Pink Panther for iconic character rather than show. The show is what mm-hmm. started it. So what do you feel about that? People know Pink Panther more for the iconic character than the actual show. I would say that's... I wouldn't I wouldn't find that hard to believe because look at me, for example. Like, I really didn't watch this. I do know what Pink Panther looks like. So I would say that pretty... I'd say I wouldn't be surprised at that conclusion. Okay. So the legacy that we take from this, of Pink Panther, it's not the crime, it's not the inspectors to stand in the diamond. It's Pink Panther himself, the figure and the pinkness and the tiger of him. I feel with that, like, it's just, it's like with certain things, like, like sometimes you just need like a gimmick to like really get that show to be memorable. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it can have, like a show can have all these different type of things going for it, working yep. for it. But sometimes that just gets overlooked by yeah. its gimmick. Like yeah, it's simple. So I, I feel that's just one of those examples. Oh yeah. I think that is pretty good synonymous of what you, you did. So I agree with that statement and how Pink Panther to the stand of time is like a brand of itself. Mm-hmm. Just like how Mickey Mouse just came a brand of Disney. I think that, you know, Pink Panther is a brand of Pink Panther, but like a more small degree than Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse is the face of the company. Oh, yeah. So, you know, really, Steamboat was pretty good for Mickey Mouse, but, you know, that's going way back. But another show that we have to bring up, also based on shorts, is Looney Tunes. So Looney Tunes doesn't actually have a spot throughout the decades. It's all, all over the place. But I think it'd be a good time to include it like in the 70s portion because it goes from the 60s, 70s to 80s. Mm. But what are some memorable shows from the Looney Tunes that you like? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just, honestly, I can't really say I have a favorite. I It was all pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Like. Of Looney Tunes, I feel that's like, oh man, that's like the mecca of cartoons right there. And it's just like, again, it's like what we're talking about. It's one of those generational, it's like, it's everywhere. It's throughout the timeline. So it's just like, whenever you talk about Looney Tunes, like every, everybody from every generation is going to be able to remember it. It's just, it's very bare. It's like the basics of cartoons. So. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. The funny. Roadrunner, Coyote, Mar- uh, the Mar- uh, what's his name? Martian Manhunter? No. Yeah. Uh, we also have Tweety, and we also have like the Mighty Mouse and other versions. You know, the Tasmanian Devil being introduced with the uh, Twister character that represents him so i think it has a really good run time mm-hmm. it has different shows and it offers people in the cartoon block so you know it can run for like five seven minutes and then you get to another short and you know you can skip whatever short come back to it and that being itself is a digital watching experience that any child can relate to yeah, most definitely. Like the, you know, it gives the definition of a classic cartoon, how it looks and how it operates, and the sketch that it does with the comedy aspect. Now, don't get me wrong, Looney Tunes have its moments of being very risque and old culture type cartoon feel with certain controversial topics. Mm-hmm. But you know, with anything given old age, sometimes that is a thing that you just need to be aware of. 
Oh yeah, most definitely, most definitely. Um, I also like how it was, some of it was like released into more modern type movies. Yeah. So hold on, let me just real quick. Like Space Jam. Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna think of. I was just, Space Jam, that was like, it implemented that into it. So it's just, it's never like, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's basically like, it just goes to show you how much of an impact it was. Like, even though Space Jam was in the 90s and this has been running for like two decades up to that point. So it was a big deal then and it's still a big deal now. Like, Oh yeah. I think how Looney Tunes comes to be, all the different catalogs of characters that can pull from and tell different stories and the different crossing of those characters really does sell the point of what Looney Tunes represents. Yeah, most definitely. I probably watched a lot more Looney Tunes than I would like to watch. But that's also because so many over a course of time you watch so many of those cartoons. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So, you know, I think that kind of covers like what the Serbians kind of represents in some of the cartoons. Now we go to the 80s. We have shows like Teenage Mutant Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and Thundercats. So what do you think of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Okay, the good old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The OG version. OG version. <laughs> it's funny you just said that because I was just going to go ahead and expose myself. Like, okay, like I'm aware of the cartoon version, but the one that I really drifted to was the one that was released on Nickelodeon slash Nicktoons. So basically, where I'm going to go with this is that once again, one of those shows where everybody from like a whole family from generations can watch and enjoy it. Like, I personally. I rocked with the uh, ones from two from Nick from the Nick, Nickelodeon Nicktoons, but I know the cartoon ones is where its roots are at. Yeah. Um, I also enjoyed their new movie, so I like that. Um, haven't watched the classic 1992 version yet, yeah. but uh, I those are the two that I rocked with. I own some teenage teenage teen, God dang it, some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like merchandise. Um, so it's just like, even though I haven't watched the OG version, again, part of the fandom, like, again, so it's just like, it's one of those, it's one of those brands where, you know, it has a version, a variation for everybody, you know? True. You can't go wrong with Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, and mm-hmm. Raphael. You can't go wrong with them. And forget about Master Splinter and uh, oh, yes. Shredder. Classic Shredder and Messersplinter. <laughs> so who, which total is like your pinnacle of this is me, this is Reggie, but it's also a total. Oh, God. Oh, man. God, you see. Are you the smart one? You're the one that likes eating? You're the one that just fights all the time? You're the one that could look the, 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 I mean, the team? I mean, to be honest, I feel like this is going to be a very cliche type of answer, but I feel a piece of me in all of them. Like, of course, I am like this. I am like the smart one, but I'm all, I also like to chill and eat pizza like Michelangelo, you know. Uh, there are times when I kind of have to be like the leader and there are times where, where I'm angry, you know, I'm like, uh, uh Jesus Christ, I haven't watched it Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in a while. Uh, <laughs> I'm like the I'm like the one with the one with the red red uh yeah. tire on them. But like, yeah, so I honestly feel like it just depends on what day you catch me what day you catch me on. Like I don't feel like I wanna chill, eat pizza. I'm like Michelangelo. Like sometimes because of work or other type of things, I may have to be uh I may have to show rare leader qualities. And I'm always doing something that people, other people always say, oh, he's smart for that. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Okay. I can feel that on that one. You were like, 
Well, it sends out one. It's saying all four and giving like the safe answer and like a vague expression of why I'm like all four of them. Okay. <laughs> he doesn't know what to say. I think with the team Mutant Turtles that does really well, you have, you know, Mutant Turtles who are trained to be ninjas, grew up in the sewers. As a result, get trained by the massive splints, and they fight the game that's connected to the Shredder. And <laughs> trying to just basically bring down his corporation or underground yeah. network in a way. Mm-hmm. So we kind of bring him down, save the streets of New York, but also not trying to be seen going to the manhole covers when the police show up and the news reporters get involved. Yeah. So what do you think of the sewers being a cover of the totals and being a hiding place? <sighs> Honestly, I personally feel that you really cannot go wrong with that, to be honest. Because, like, the series that I watched, they mostly was doing their action in the nighttime. And so it was was open city. They seemed to have a good understanding of where all, like, the potholes were, were at. So it's just like, really, you really can't go wrong. Like, you got the cops, you track the cops' attention, like, okay, like, you're going to follow me? Like, watch, watch me turn a corner. Oh, I see a popcorn. I'm just going to jump down into it because I know how good this, I know my way around the sewer system. You know, it's only a matter of time before I get back to my lair. So honestly, it's just like, if I was a turtle, if I was a freaking mutant ninja turtle and... You know, I didn't want to be seen doing stuff because, you know, I didn't want to get the police, the government, yeah. news reports involved. I mean, I wouldn't be able to pick a better spot. It would just be a matter of if I know my way around the city to where I can memorize all the potholes. And do I know the sewer system like that to where I could get back to my layer? True. So master of the sewers. And then I actually think of an actual sentence. If I master the sewers and my stealthy techniques to hide away from any danger away from me, I can be the best I can be at the what I can do. Most definitely. <laughs> Most definitely. And you also, again, put into like, look at do your work at nighttime. So it's like, don't do it in broad daylight. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah. People see you going in the back alley. Why are they going back there? At least at nighttime, they can't, if you go back and they try to see you, they're gone. So, yeah. you got the cover of night. It's like, you know, I'm Batman. I can only operate at nighttime. Kind of scenario. But I think the character I identify with the most is probably Master Splits. Because he's like that more thought out, more drawn out character who's the mentor to yeah. all the turtles, but also trying to train them to be a better team. And I feel like I can give that to people better than you being all the totals all combined in one giant total so i mean i put that in like a practical because like we all have (laughs) we all have times where we're angry we all have times where we kind of have to get out of our shell and be leaders we all have times where we just want to kick back chill and have a good times and there are times where we're just on our stuff and like other people call us uh geeks and nerds i mean it's just like my look at it is like a real life just interpretation you know True. So. so what life gives you lemons, you make lemonade, and then those labels are just now transported to another realm of the totals, personalities, and the four different totals. Yeah, right, exactly. Okay, I understand that. So, uh, you know, we talk about Teenage Ninja Turtles, Ninja Turtles, how they came to be, and how, you know, the overall aesthetic of how they are. Let's discuss mm-hmm. Thundercats for the Okay. For this one, I'm going to be completely honest. I did not watch Thundercats at all. So like maybe you can uh, educate well, me on this series. Okay, so the Thundercats is similar okay. So you have a sword, you see the eye beyond sight, and mm-hmm. there's not many left, but the main character is a prince. Mm-hmm. of sorts and he has 
to protect Thundera. And as a result of protecting Thundera, he's also with other characters who support him in that. The one that, you know, makes the machines work. The twins who are basically boring Yodoro. And we also have the main cheetah who's super fast. Mm-hmm. And the other, you know, on the cat, I think it's the muscle is blue. It's the muscle of the team. And then the inventor is the one that uses technology to benefit to outwit the opponents in the thunder tank and other sorts of gadgets and machinery that the team can utilize to protect Thundera and give an aspect outside of Thundera and Thundera's interest as well. Okay. So it kind of, they're all cats. They are different species of cats. So the sword they're on site goes to like a bigger sword transformation mm-hmm. and then it gives them power of like mystical or the whimsical power that belongs in the sword when you say mm-hmm. the sacred chant. Okay. And its appeal is that they you know to episode to episode they're like it's episodic, so if you miss an episode, you might be out of touch with it. So mm. it's a really good nostalgic feeling of that. Okay. So you just have to be prepared if you miss the episode, you go lost a little bit, because it does piggyback on each episode being continuous in the storytelling. But it's not standalone. Okay. Okay. So what's your questions about Thundercats? So, it sounds like your typical, like, 1980s, like, real serious type action cartoon. Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. Sounds interesting. True. So, that's what Thundercats represents. I think I have Reggie intrigued, but I'm not quite sure. Are you intrigued? I'm a little bit intrigued. Like, honestly, like, upon all the other things I listed myself to watch, I probably would throw that in the list somewhere. <laughs> it's like, wow, I'll watch it. I just don't know where I'll watch it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, that's a fair answer. You can't go wrong with that answer. It's better than the safe answer being all poor turtles. Oh, wow. You're going to be stuck on that for the rest of the podcast, aren't you? I don't know. That was, you say it was cliche, then you say, oh, I'm all poor turtles. Like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so. <laughs> But that kind of covers what the 80s kind of gave us as a perspective. Let's go to the 90s. We have shows like Batman the Animated Series. What do you think of Batman the Animated Series? Batman Animated Series to me, it was was a pretty darn good series. Like, there's not much I can say on it. I think it was just, oh boy, see, we've seen a lot of animated DC stuff over the years. And it's just like, I feel Batman, the animated series, like the first Superman, like animated series they had around that time frame, they were just all really good, really good animated series. Yeah. Um, this is not much I could say. It was, it was a pretty darn good series. It was classic. It was a classic. True. Can't go wrong with it. I particularly, I really like Batman animated series. It's a very nostalgic, classic, represent variation of who Batman was and how it kind of just threw yourself into what the Batman life was like and people to this day still say it's a classic regardless of what other people say so it fits that category not only being popular but being new people getting access to it mm-hmm. it's just a lot of people have grand memories of the sequences of fighting in it, the mature element, and like the classic Batman aesthetic of who Batman was. I also feel like that Batman in that era, he did a, he was basically an imitation of what Batman represented before, you know, before yeah. the Dark Knight era, the Chris, yeah. the Chris so Nolan era, they yeah. kind of made everything all a bit darker than what it should, what what most would agree with it should well, have been. Well, yeah, Batman Beyond was like mature content, mm-hmm. 
But it wasn't yeah. as dark as the Dark Knight was portrayed. Mm-hmm. Like, Batman was a rough around the edge character, but he wasn't this. Yeah, it was definitely. Uh, Goblin in the Night type mission. I mean, Batman's a vigilante, don't get me wrong, but he wasn't yeah. this vigilante literally doing the I persona of the bat to the point where it's like a vampire bat. <laughs> like you have a person dressing up as a bat in the night with Batman Beyond not not Beyond that's totally different Batman the animated series Batman Beyond mm. comes after that so I really think it does a really good storytelling story as well mm-hmm. it gave us a version of Batman that was relatable that people could understand but also drive away from other type of kid-friendly cartoons. Yeah, true that, true that. So, The Simpsons. What do you think of The Simpsons from the 90s? Oh, God. Oh, boy. The Simpsons. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I... Jesus Christ, bro. Everywhere I go, I see The Simpsons. So it's just like, I can't really, there's nothing <laughs> I can't really say about how how widespread that series was. It's just like, Jesus Christ, everywhere I go, like, I see Simpsons, man. It was like, and it was like a 90s series, so it's just like, God, God, it's just, it's it's like, it's what Pokemon, it's like, to what it's to cart, it's what, Jesus Christ, let me put this in a way that I can rephrase it, but it's to cartoons what Pokemon was to anime, like, God, you cannot talk about, even though really, sh- well, nah, I'm not gonna go there. I was gonna say because of its adult content, like it's not, it's still cartoons. Um, but like, yeah, you can't really talk about com. I really say you can't talk talk about comedy and cart without mentioning The Simpsons. Like, yeah, it's just God. I don't even know what the, what the frick I can say, bro. Like <laughs> that shit. Oh man. Yeah, I do agree with that. I think it's representative of the fact that what The Simpsons was was the references, all these parodies of other properties portrayed in the episodes, continuity taken to a totally new level, and how we portray the story, you know, it's epic. Every episode has a special. There's always a connected Easter egg to something else. You can't, you know, the characters are just so relatable. The entire family is like, all have different issues. It's not like, it's like the version of Adult Swim where like, you have everyone being just unreliable because just crude humor. They didn't do that with The Simpsons. The Simpsons had their version of crude humor, but it was like, on the surface. It wasn't like as deep as other types of mature cartoons were. Yeah. I can definitely say Simpsons made its impact. It freaking took over. Like, I don't really care. I can't really... I also love how the Simpsons... You say you can't give a synopsis? No, I can't give a synopsis what the Simpsons was about. Just Simpsons all over the place. Yeah, I guess it's just about the fem- the family and the, the senses being who they are. I, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say I I like this is kind of a bit off the topic, but I liked how you had like cameos of like they basically like kind of mock like some of the um real life like actresses and politicians and bring them into Simpsons. And they even said there were some instances where Simpsons kind of predicted the future for real life. So it's just, it's <laughs> yeah. It, well, oh gosh, it just starts to mean how many times did the Simpsons predict this happening at this specific time on this day? <laughs> you know, it gets like that deep conspiracy theory. And actually, some of them are proven true. And then others are just like, well, did, yeah. did, did the Simpsons predict this was going to happen? Kind of perspective. So just back in your mind, yeah. that type of philosophy thinking. I really, I don't know. Something like one of those animated series that 
just totally throws a wrench what cartoon is. Cosplay, yeah. in my definition of animation, cartoon, animation, and anime are like three my classifications. I put the Simpsons in the animated series category. But most of these I put in that category, so I'm not, I'm just, don't mind. Mm, I got you, I got you. I mean, it's just a good show overall. You enjoy the, you enjoy the content. Mm-hmm. And each episode feels fresh. Mm-hmm. So it's not a really a dull moment in each episode. Or whatever episode you've seen has something to offer to that person watching it. Yeah. I don't have a complaint about The Simpsons. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. It did it, it, it really good with that particular franchise. Mm-hmm. I can't complain. So now we cover the 90s. Uh, let's go to the 2000s. So uh, we have Source, The Clone Wars. And, uh, core the, believe the rush of core. Alrighty. Let's cover Star Wars The Clone Wars. So what did the Star Wars The Clone Wars do for you for that particular cartoon? Alright, so let's take it back to 2008, 2009. A boy was at the peak of Star Wars fandom. Could nobody mess with me as a Star Wars fan back then. And... A lot of what I didn't know at that time was that a lot of people were hating on the Star Wars pre the Star Wars prequels. You know, obviously Anakin yeah. Skywalker and his I Hate Sand. And one of the things that was interesting, I felt looking at it now, I felt Star Wars, the Clone Wars took the Star Wars prequels and they basically kind of took a chance with them. And they basically just they basically took the characters and they expanded on them. So like with Star Wars: The Clone Wars, when you think of Anakin Skywalker, you don't. What, what a lot of people, what a lot of the cringy things people think about Anakin Skywalker is in Episode Two and Episode Three. They take Anakin Skywalker with Star Wars: The Clone Wars, and they make him so much more. Like by the by, the Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, Anakin Skywalker at the beginning was like this legendary war hero, Obi Wan Kenobi, and with Star Wars: The Clone Wars, they expand upon that. So it's just like. And basically, they give a depth into the prequel era. They build like a whole universe. Like, you, you, you love Obi Wan Kenobi. You love Anakin Skywalker. Like, you even love these new, the newer characters that we didn't know then. Like, they introduced Ahsoka Tano. Like, they gave depth into how badass the clones were. Like, oh my God, you, you, you really Count Dooku really got on your freaking nerves. Like, he just he made numerous like appearances throughout the series. Um, General, you had Jennifer Grievous, Asajj Ventress, like, to me, it's just, a, Star Wars The Clone Wars was just, it was a great freaking series, and it was, it was a testament to how long it lasted. Obviously, it couldn't keep going on forever and ever and ever, because, of course, it spans between two and three, and the more stuff you introduce, the more reasons why you basically... In order to keep from messing up with continuity, you have to explain, okay, well, what happened to this character? Like, what happened to this character? So, it's just... It, basically, what I'm trying to say is Star Wars The Clone Wars, it, to me, it expanded the prequel side of things, and it gave depth to the characters before Episode 3. So, you're looking at an Episode 2, and you looked at what they... episode When you start Episode 3, you watch Episode 3, you look at all the stuff they did in, in Star Wars The Clone Wars, and it's like, okay, wow. I can see why these guys have the reputations that they have. We can see why it was a bit, it, it made a, it was a big deal when Anakin finally killed du- Count Dooku. Like, you can see why General Grievous was somewhat of a threat, you know? It's just, it was a good, it was a great freaking series, like, at its time. Like, I felt it took a chance, and it freaking, it blew us away. Okay. You really, really like Star Wars The Clone Wars. <laughs> like, we don't, there's no explanation that can top that. You're just like, oh, really? Okay, cool. I got my opportunity. Let's talk about it. Mike and I, I watched the series. I actually liked the four. I watched from time to time. I didn't keep up with them like you did. But, I really did enjoy what the animation quality was like in mm-hmm. portraying Star Wars. 
But Star Wars to me wasn't like a big brand that I was like interested in the franchise. But I did thoroughly enjoy Star Wars The Clone Wars for what it did for the brand and the franchise itself. Mm. And there was a couple of episodes I watched out of order that even though I didn't know what was going on, the the episode itself sold me for like that 20 minutes of airtime on Cartoon Network at the time to mm-hmm. understanding enough that it's like, well, there's fighting going on, okay? Here we go. They're going at it. The lightsabers are at You know, the different missions are being able to accomplish with the show is being shown in the episode. So I encapsulate what Star Wars represents of the Jedi and the drones and different types of pilots of robots and the different aesthetics give you why people remember the series so much. Mm-hmm. It was definitely. And another one from the 2000s, The Fairly Odd Pants. I was a big watcher of Nickelodeon and The Fairly Odd Pants and how it came to be portrayed in the media. Ten-year-old kid, so miserable. Vicky, the babysitter, is tormenting him. And his parents just go about their business and doing whatever random thing at the time they were doing. Whether it's going to the ball, going to space, going to see the movies. They didn't care. They just left Tim, Timmy Turner, he left alone. And then having Vicky made him so miserable that he had very odd parents. They came down to grant anywhere she wants. And when he turns a certain age, they go away. But it's just the entire plot of the adventures of Timmy Turner and how he messes up every single wish that he does. And he has to go fix it. And then somehow there's some weird restriction that the fairies can actually intervene. Wanda and Cosmos. And Wanda and Cosmos are actually one of the few married fairies that we see in Fairy Odd Pants. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. So... That's also because Cosmo is so dumb that he needs Wanda to support him. But that's beside the statement. The show does bring good audience quality. It's a nice stand, you know, each episode, even though it's not standalone, it does connect episodes. You can watch each individual episode by itself. You just might not have the knowledge from a previous episode of how this person connects to the storyline. So you have to watch it for that purpose, but that's pretty much it. And then you can't you can't go wrong with Quacko. Fairies! And he cracked his back and then trying to catch the fairies. <laughs> and Quacko actually had fairies himself, so he just forgot about them, but apparently yeah. he still goes crazy when he sees them. Oh, man. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's bringing about memories. That's interesting. You mentioned that the the, the episodes have inner continuity. I couldn't think back to many times where a uh, episode referenced another episode. It's not like, like another uh, episode of events. No, like, maybe it's just one. I have a it, hard time. It it does characters. It's usually rep- uh, doing storyline of characters, so it has a small continuity thing that connects them. It's what we call episode. So you're saying basically. Oh, okay. So certain things in episode Easter eggs you're not going to understand. Yeah. How did this character become this? When we last time I saw them, they weren't even like this. Stuff like that. Okay. Okay. I get it. Yeah, it has like a small continuity, but it's like mostly standalone. Yeah. I take on a fairly odd parents. Yeah, it's definitely when you say two thousands and Nickelodeon, it's definitely up there with SpongeBob. Unfortunately, and this is just my opinion, I feel I feel SpongeBob around. You think so? Well, that's why I didn't have the list. I'm just gonna say this, like similar to SpongeBob, around two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I feel that's when fairly odd when Poof was introduced. Yeah, uh, speak, that's kind of where it fell off at. Like, yeah, it, wasn't, it didn't like it didn't hit part with me anymore. But yeah. like, say it's golden era was like from nine from the nineties all the way to early mid two thousands. I enjoyed the hell out of some fairly god parents. Like, yeah. I do see your point there. Yeah, all the episodes, 
Now we have dogs. Adventures of a the fairy odd parents dog. And now he has a now they share the fairies. It just Yeah. Whatever. But uh you know, that kinda is like the end of two thousands era. The last one we're gonna cover is uh two thousand ten era before two thousand twenty. Two thousand twenty is way too new to bring up, so we're just gonna stop at two thousand ten. I respect it. because uh, it hasn't it's the decades that have passed or well, enough of the decade hasn't passed for us to talk about. Uh, Legend of Korra. What do you like about Legend of Korra in, like, 2014? Okay. First off, I'm going to start by saying something very controversial. I actually enjoyed Legend of Korra more than I did Avatar The Last Airbender. I just, to me, the plot... I remember when it first came out, like, back in the 2010s. Like, it was a big deal. And and the thing about it was every time an episode came on and it ended, it left me wanting to know more. So like every, what was it, Saturday night it was? Saturday night, a new episode would premiere. And then the plot would happen. And then it's like, okay, what the freak happens next? And it's just like, that was just the pattern of it from season one all the way to season three seasons. So it was, I was... Yeah, it's not see three see three seasons. So that was the pattern from season one all the way to season three. And it was just like each character, each villain just in their own way, just bro, like, oh my god. Like Amon in the first season, he was just like that dude was like, yo, like I was like, how the fuck is he doing this? And then it was like it came out that he was a waterbender. I'm just like, what? And then there was the other uh, let me see, who may go back my memory. So after that. There was um, uh, this other waterbender. He was from the Northern Water Tribe. Northern Water Tribe, like it's crazy. He was obsessed with like merging basically with dark spirit. Like how all the avatars have um, like Batu, Batu, that's what his name was, Batu. Like all the avatars are merged with Rava, the light spirit. And you have this dark avatar named Batu who's been chained up for like thousands of years so it's just crazy how you have this crazy ass like waterbender who like who's like he's so crazy he wants to merge with this dark spirit and become this dark anti-avatar so mm-hmm. you have well, that and then you have the final one the final one where you have this military uh Eric, he's a, she was a metal bender you have her and he basically Oh no no no! There was there was four seasons. Excuse me, there were four seasons. You also, you also have the assassin going after Koa and trying to. Yeah, the um the dude yeah. that can I forgot his name. Like he was ba- at first he didn't have powers, but because of what happened in the second season, yeah. harmonic conversions, it was an overload, and basically a lot of people got bending powers, and yeah. he was one of them, and he was just a badass. And see what I love about him was that. Because, see, the thing I kind of felt at times, let Cora was a bit Nancy Sewish. And so what I mean by that is that she never, she kind of just comes in and just, she doesn't really have to struggle all that much. But I kind of, what I liked about it, what I liked about him and what I liked about Amon was that they humbled her. They actually made her feel fear. They actually let her know that, okay, you're not invincible. And so... Even when she full, when she reached into the Avatar state, she he was still able to hold her own, hold his own against her. Yeah. And it was really Tenzin that was ever ever seen dominating him. So to me, he's the reason why Tenzin is the master and Korra is the student. So that's what I love about. That's one of the things I loved about him. There was many. There was a lot of things I loved about him. He was just a badass. Yeah. And. Then, there was the metal bending chick who was she used to be good but then she got power hungry and i think she was trying to build this metal bending empire and what i loved about that was because of what happened him because of what happened in the previous season with who i just mentioned she ended up getting poisoned and she had a lot of self-doubt and again she was shooken up so she wasn't on her game she wasn't you know, she was just off her game. And because of that, that's why the she last, like, the villain, Colt, 
Kuvera, I think that was her name was. Yeah. Kuvera, she lasted so long. And like, yeah. I can say she was probably the least impactful. The least, I'd say she wasn't the best one. She was the least out of all three, out of all four, but she still did a very good job. Overall, yeah. I just love the series. It was it was a great series. We have Legend of Korra. We have, you know, the, the non-Benders versus Benders, which is the bigger Bing conflict in Avatar, the previous sequel of Legend of Korra. We have the graphic novel telling in between of the Republic and how the Republic is like the fifth nation and different nations coming, the four nations coming together, being the yeah. neutral uh, political party entity mm. in the world and then you know that transition of non-benders versus benders to the northern water tribe and southern water tribe the isolation mm. and the conflict that the fire nation did at the time and how you know industry changing is revolutionary then you go to the ptsd of course the yeah. previous events of like Haman and how Something of harmonic convergence can hold for the character and not have the restoring of that. So, restoring of the powers, finding who she is, is kind of cool. And then we get to, oh, life is threatened, but now it's personal. They're against you specifically to stop Avatar being born. Yeah, for real. And then we go into the Earth Kingdom. Earth Kingdom is having all these struggles, even though it had all these colonies and different people of like the final colonies there and stuff like that. They're not united, and Tarifa unites them, uses might as a way to do brute force in the government politics. The mm -hmm. good thing about Legend of Core is all of that gathered together PTSD, sexual identity. Yeah. Personal trauma to overcome. Basically, having the Avatar cycle stop, and you know stuff like that, and probably mm -hmm. basically being the first Avatar all over again for the previous cycles, from the before dawn and all this other stuff. You see a lot of trauma being the main storyline, and how she overcomes the trauma, and how she as a person probably dealt with a lot more than just Aang that when we saw in that Avatar Plus epic. Mm. Aang was a hang of hundred year war, but much younger than Korra. So yeah. the personal growth for Korra is a lot more than Aang. Even though Aang had to immediately overcome pacifism, or Korra had to overcome more personal obstacles in a way. I feel like, uh, that's, that's an interesting one. I, I feel, yeah, I definitely feel you on the mental trauma, the mental, the mental trauma part. Yeah. But God, Aang had a lot to go through because again, he, once again, first of all, he was frozen and when he woke up, like everybody in his era was dead. So he really was the last airbender. He was a yeah. 12 year old. He basically had to master all these elements originally before a certain time period before a firebender came and ruled the world. And, he just only had two people with him. Like, yeah, but also, Korra had more mastery over the elements, so she had more time to practice them when Aang did. Yeah. So there's also a good step saying a feat that, a feat to learn the elements of such a short time and face mm -hmm. the Fire Lord. So the conflict, Aang was one overreaching conflict. Korra is this many conflicts that led to each other being all combined. Yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. So, but Aang is still the last Airbender, after the last Airbender, is one of my favorite animated series to watch. So, oh, yeah, definitely. So, that's what I'm biased about that. But as we take a look throughout the decades, mm -hmm. each decade has a different property or cartoon media that portrays different stories, different types of stories, and different audiences in the generation gap. Mm -hmm. As, like, 
I think the generation aspect of how we see cartoons is the reason why I made this particular episode, the cartoons and the decades. Mm-hmm. It's like a case study of the 50 years of what cartoons came to be and how the shows in that time frame represent the main demographic of the media. Compilation that we share while watching mm-hmm. the different decades. Mm. Yeah, this kind of this kind of brings me into a possible topic you could probably talk. You could probably do a podcast about. Yeah, I don't know if you probably covered this already, but you could possibly talk about comics throughout the decades and us. Uh, oh, okay. Or you could talk about supers throughout the decade. What supers throughout the decade? Huh? Supers. Superhero, superhero comic book powers throughout the decades. Oh yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can definitely see that. As we come to close to this particular episode. What is your closing thoughts about this, Reggie? So, yeah, I mean, basically, when you look at it like this, from a from a decade to decade standpoint, you can see how each cartoon kind of evolves. Like, they could have something as basic as, okay, so you have this template here, and what we're going to do is, like Scooby-Doo, where you have the crime, you have the person trying to solve the crime, in retrospective, you kind of know how each episode's going to play out. And I think it's interesting how, as we go through each decade, that template or the way a cartoon is presented evolves over time. And you can get, you can go all the way over to something in our era, like Legend of Korra or Star Wars The Clone Wars, where it's just like, oh my God, how is this going to play out? So I think it's just kind of interesting to look at over the decades of how each cartoon how a cartoon evolves, you know? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, when you take the template, transform that template, change the template, expand on the template, you get a more storytelling, more plot development, character development, but, you know, simple approaches back to the simple shorts, mm-hmm. to the more kid friendly, to the more theme, dark side, you can go with it, but yeah. as a as a consumer of this type of media, mm-hmm. what I usually see is the different references within the decade, the historical impact, and how that historical impact transcends the original decade it came from, and still grabbing new people to watch it to today standard. Mm-hmm. Today's standards is totally different than it was back then, but yet oh, yeah. it still has an, uh, an active audience wanting to keep consuming that media. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, it's just definitely a testament to how 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 it was in its deck, how good it was in this decade, and how it's still pulling in new fan bases today. So, yeah. So, as a consumer, we come to you. We talked about. The, how the decades came to be, different shows within those decades, but also, you know, I believe of a timeline of different cartoons in different years, by 10 different years, five different years perspective. So, hope you guys enjoy it. All right. This is MC Anime Over and Out. And uh, thank you, Reggie, for being here and being a good guest. And Exploring the the classic cartoons throughout the decades. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. See you later.